Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the 2020 Convention of the Mountain State Council of the Blind, a vision for a healthier tomorrow. I want to welcome all of those who have joined us on Zoom and a big hello and welcome to all those listening on ACB radio, wherever you might be. Um, I also want to welcome and thank Randy Reed, who's our Zoom host this evening, and also Doug Hunsinger, who is our streamer for ACB radio. Uh, They're volunteering their time this evening to help us. Thank you, gentlemen. A special thanks to Rick Morn for, I call him, organizing all the panelists, uh, because that's a lot of what he does uh, for this entire convention. And thanks to all the ACB radio crew for everything they've done to help us uh, organize this and to kind of guide us through this whole process. And also anyone else from ACB who worked with us. We have Katie Frederick, who's a, I don't know, convention coordinator. I'm not sure what her title is. Um, So just a few remarks um, before we really get started. Uh, For those of you who don't know, The Mountain State Council of the Blind, I I get asked that so often, MSCB, um, that's the West Virginia State Affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. So the majority of our membership uh, resides in West Virginia. Um, There's a little bit more of that alphabet soup that if you attended the ACB National Convention, you heard all kinds of acronyms. Well, MSCB is another one of those, Mountain State Council of the Blind. Um, You'll hear some more about our affiliate and our activities and and, um, our structure of our our organization tomorrow afternoon. So now I'd like to uh, give a chance for our convention committee chair to say a few words. Uh, Glenn Pinkard, uh, just a little bit about him. He joined Mountain State Council, I don't know, 15 years ago or whatever, but when he joined He hit the ground running and has been an active member uh, ever since. Glenn resides in in Romney, and he is a teacher's aide at the West Virginia Schools for the Deaf and Blind. So, Glenn, why don't you say a few words? Um, Thank you uh, to everyone. Uh, Join us, especially the folks on ACB Radio and the uh, uh, team uh, on ACB Radio working. It's been a pleasure working with everyone uh, in ACB, uh, Donna, and um, I want to thank everyone on the committee, uh, Debbie, uh, Nanetta, Conrad, Josh, Marsha, and I, and Donna, and um, everything. Bay's just done wonderful, um, and I just really thank you all. Um, it's been wonderful. We decided mid um, planning to go virtual as in the middle of this pandemic. And um, we are having a convention. It's very different this year, but I think it's really turned out to be uh, very exciting. We um, are able to have speakers that we're not able to normally have uh, due to Zoom. And um, I really think it's going to turn out really great and I'm really excited and really think it's going to have a fun weekend 
uh, planned. Um, so just sit back, enjoy. Uh, we're not in person, but this is nice too. We can kick back and uh, stay safe in our homes and we didn't have to worry about transportation this year um for those uh in other states west virginia is a very rural state with um not the best transportation across the state so it does uh create some problems getting across the state at times um so we are able to save money and and have a really nice convention this year and i just want to thank everyone again and um enjoy okay thank you glenn thank you donna Uh, okay um so this evening in a little while or a very short while actually we're going to hear from dan spoon the acb president from orlando florida and we'll introduce him a little more formally here in a few minutes and then we're going to hear from tony caridi uh the voice of the west virginia mountaineers uh sports program and the evening is going to uh, conclude with Josh Haza. If you're familiar with the ACB Walk, we have a song every year that is has been written by Josh Haza, and he sings it. And it's focused around wherever the convention is, and it 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 has it usually portrays the theme of the convention, and the walk has a theme and. Uh, so Josh is going to actually come and talk to us a little bit, and he's going to perform some music for us. Uh, he's quite a talented man. Um, so before we actually get into our program, I just kind of want to share a little bit of how we got to where we are tonight. <laughs> um, so our convention, our in-person convention, was originally planned for to be scheduled in Huntington, West Virginia, Um which is sort of the southwestern part of the state, almost on the, it's right at the Kentucky border. Um, And it was actually supposed to be this weekend. Our theme was actually the same as it is now, but certainly the program that we were in the midst of planning was quite a bit different. Uh, We were actually planning to take a walk on a trail at a local park uh, that was made accessible to people for people with all or varying disabilities, uh, included braille signage and, and wheelchair access to on the trail and everything. Um, but the really neat thing about that was that the effort uh, to make the trail accessible was actually led by a high school student. Um, she just, this young lady had a vision for all people to have the experience of, you know, enjoying nature, regardless of their ability or disability. Um, and our Mountain State Council, we really, one of our, I, I think, sort of wonderful things that we do, we, we really um, focus on providing programming and and funding for sort of youth-oriented activities. And and, uh, so, in other words, one thing we do on an annual basis is support the the Beatty Contest, which is the benefits of audio description and education. Um, We 
support the Braille Challenge and, and just about any kind of program that is available for young students, uh, we, we really support. So we were really excited to go to this park and, and talk with this young lady who uh, created this trail. Um, but we were also, one of, um, one of the other really neat things we were going to do, um, we were going to have a panel discussion from, with some former Paralympians. There are three members of Mountain State Council who were former Paralympians, and uh, our ACB, uh, Clark Rockville, was going to also be with us. But uh, anyway, but stay tuned, because that panel really is going to happen. Uh, it isn't going to happen this weekend, though, uh, but it really will happen. I don't know when, but it will. Um, and then we were also going to have, which I was really looking forward to, uh, we were going to have a, a presentation um, about the construction of the human brain. Um, and But the really neat thing was we were going to have a hands-on exploration of a really large model of the brain. Um, so that that was really going to be neat. But anyway, um, just like the ACB National Convention, all was really not lost when COVID decided to take over our lives. And again, thanks to a lot of people, uh, we were able to keep the same theme, even though we had to change some programming topics. And so here we are tonight with a vision for a healthier tomorrow. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, some of these program sessions, what in the world do they have to do with health? Well, you're, you're right. I mean, some, some might not. But uh, when I introduce people, I, I, I'm going to be able to bring health into it. I can guarantee you. <laughs> um, so uh, before we uh, introduce Dan Spoon, we're going to give a door prize. So, uh, Glenn, can you activate your Siri or whoever you're going to do and have her pick a number between 1 and 72? I sure can. Siri, pick a random number between 1 and 72. A random number between 1 and 72 is 50. How about number 50? 50. Okay. So... Number 50, when, when you, just so people know, uh, when you registered, um, I gave each person a number. So basically, whoever was the first person to register was number one, you know, the second person was number two, and so on and so forth. So now we have number 50. Uh, number 50 is Kathy Gerhardt from Poland, Ohio. Uh, Kathy used to be a, a member, well, she still is a member of the Mountain State Council of the Blind, but she used to be a West Virginia resident, and um, she kind of went to Ohio by way of Pennsylvania, but she still is very active in, in our chapter, and and so, Kathy, I don't know if you like Burger King, but you're going to get a $15 Burger King gift card, uh, so... I don't know if you're in the crowd, Kathy. If you are, if you want to say something, raise your hand and Randy will. I, I'm not sure that she's there. I didn't see her. That, Donna, that's a whopper of a door prize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gracious. I wish I would have thought of that. 
Can I get an LOL on that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It doesn't look like she is. Yeah, I don't don't think she is. Okay. Um, That's okay. That's all right. Uh, All right. So uh, we are going to get ready to start our program. And we're hoping with each speaker that there will be an opportunity for questions. And when it comes time... Uh, we'll have Randy tell everyone how they can ask their question. And um, hold on, I'm looking for my right file. There we go. Uh, I've got so many files. Um, so our first speaker tonight, and we're so honored to have him with us. Um, we'll have his wife tomorrow. So we, we, that, that's one thing about the spoons you get. Well, two for the price of one. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm going to introduce Dan Spoon. And I think most of you know that he is currently the president of the American Council of the Blind. Um, Dan has been married to his lovely wife, Wes- Leslie, for 22 years. And they live in Orlando, Florida, in Mickey Mouse land. Uh, Dan is retired from Siemens Energy where he was a project manager. Earlier in his career, he owned, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, D-I-G-I's, I don't know. You got it, D-G's. Okay, pizza, and worked as a character at Walt Disney World. And I've heard Dan tell those stories several times. Uh, So, Dan Spoon, I really appreciate you spending friday evening with us and giving up your time and you are on sir well thank you so much donna and thank you mountain state council of the blind it is an honor and a privilege to spend some time with you all here this evening and i am first just want to say i'm so proud of you guys thank thank you so much for for you know, being well able to adapt and and have the initiative to really, you know, come up with a different way to hold your your annual convention this year. So, I know doing it virtually is is not exactly what you had in mind to start with, but uh, I think uh, you're going to find having an opportunity to have participated in several of these over the last few months, it to be a very worthwhile and rewarding experience and. Uh, Special thanks to Donna and Glenn and Marcia and all the team for pulling this together, as well as our colleagues at ACB Radio with with uh, Debbie Hazelton and Rick Morin and all the team and all the hard work that they put into this. I think I heard Katie Frederick maybe being uh, in in uh, in uh, and Randy helping as Zoom host, and I'm sure there'll be many more. So thank you all so much, and thank you for inviting me. An interesting topic that Donna asked me to talk with you all about this evening, what can ACB do for you? And so I wanted to start a little bit to just talk about what the American Council of the Blind is, because I think at times uh, it, it, seems, it seems obvious to some and, you know, maybe not quite so obvious to others, but when you join any chapter or affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, you also join the American Council of the Blind. And so you, we all here this evening 
uh, are members, most all of us, of the American Council of the Blind. So really we're asking ourselves, what can we do for us? Because we are all in this together. So if you are blind or visually impaired, uh, if you're a member of the Mountain State Council of the Blind, a friend, a family member, an associate of the Mountain State Council of the Blind, you are also part of the bigger family of the American Council of the Blind. And I want to talk about American Council of Blind and our family this evening. So what is the American Council of Blind? What is our mission statement? Our mission statement is that uh, the American Council of Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. So whether you're a member of the American Council of Blind or not, if you're blind or visually impaired, our national organization is out there working each and every day to do what we can to make our lives better as members of the blind and visually impaired community or our families' members' lives better. And we do that in many different ways. And I always think of us as a family because we are so much, if you think of your family in your, in your own home, your, your own family, part of a neighborhood and a community, it's a unit that represents what, uh, you know, an important part of your life. There's almost, there's nothing in life, you know, more important than your family. And you protect your family and you look out for your family and you hopefully grow up with a set of core values, beliefs that you take with you each and every day as you live your life. And it's important to to always have those strong core values. So the American Council of the Blind, we have our own adopted set of core values that we try to live with every day, besides of our mission statement, is our set of core values. And that's, you know, how we will treat and work with each other. So our first core value is that we always expect integrity and honesty in everything we do, conversations within ourselves, amongst our, our affiliates and our national committees and board of directors, as well as our partners, whether they be corporate representatives such as Microsoft or Google or Facebook, or whether they be foundations or government agencies, we're always going to try to work with integrity and honesty. Our next core value is respect, that we will treat each other, you know, kind of the golden rule. We would like, you know, to treat each other as they would treat us, right? So you always, you always, you know, try to do the best by your neighbor and respect your, respect the members of your family. And so that is very important to us. Next is collaboration that says, we're going to work together, that we always find that by collaborating, by working as a team, with reaching out and developing partnerships, one voice together is much more powerful than an individual voice. So collaboration is very important. Next core value is flexibility. And flexibility says that, you know, and we're dealing with that right now with COVID-19, right? And, and, 
social justice or injustice and what's going on in our world. And we have to realize to be flexible, that the world is not black and white. A lot of times it's gray and it's really important to understand the other person's point of view and, and really then react and be flexible and be willing to, um, you know, start out to do a a physical convention uh, in Huntington, Virginia, and then end up doing a virtual convention, right? So we always have to be flexible. And then the last core value of the American Council of the Blind is initiative, that we can't wait for other people to do this. We have to be willing as blind and visually impaired people to take the initiative, to go out there and set the direction and to take responsibility and move forward. So those are our core values, and that's what we try to practice and live with every day. And I would think that, you know, I'm sure Mountain State Council of Blind has their own set of core values, but I think what we found as we have established those and printed them and shared them and put them on our website, and we talk about them in almost every board meeting, is that it really has given us that solid foundation to move forward. So inside of our family, and Rick Morin's going to have a smile on his face, I always like to take a word and very quickly run through that word and highlight some different uh, attributes of the American Council of Lights. So today's word is family, and this is a word I've used many times before. But the F in family stands for friends and fundraising. So with friends, there's, you know, what got Leslie and I involved in the American Council of the Blind 25 years ago was the fact that we were looking for folks that were going through the same issues that we were going through. We both had retinitis pigmentosis. We were losing our vision, had lost a lot of our vision at that point in time. We, were find, we wanted to find friends and acquaintances that we could talk to that were going through the same challenges that we were going through. And ACB offers that to each and every member, both at the Mountain State level and at the national level. So friends are an important part of of ACB. And so is fundraising. And I want to just take a moment to thank the West Virginia Walkers and what an outstanding job West Virginia does every year with their walk team, the ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk Donna Brown has been our chair for the last four or five years. And I would say Donna would probably have the exact number that she could share with me. But I bet over the last five or six years, the West Virginia Walkers have probably raised close to $20,000, of which half of that $10,000 has gone back to the Mountain State Council of the Blind, which hopefully is a wonderful partnership between the American Council of the Blind and the Mountain State Council of the Blind that provides revenue, not just at the national level, but at the, at the affiliate level. That has allowed you all hopefully to do lots of wonderful programs, offer scholarships, invite people to your convention, uh, do the things that you need to do inside of Mountain State to get the work done for your particular uh, organization. So fundraising is really important. And there's two, there's two fundraisers that, that the American Council of Blind shares with its affiliates. The first is the walk. 
uh, which we just talked a little bit about. The other is the Monthly Monetary Support Program, or MMS, another one of those three-letter acronyms that Donna was talking about. So the Monthly Monetary Support Program is a program where you can make a monthly contribution that can be split between the American Council of the Blind and the Mountain State Council of the Blind. It can be as small as a $10 a month donation. can, can be larger, uh, but you can join for $10 a month, and that money can be split evenly between ACB and the Mountain State Council, which allows money to be brought in at the Mountain State Conven- uh, Council of the Blind level without a whole lot of energy. It's just uh, the uh, American Council of the Blind financial uh, department handles all the transactions. You can put it on either your credit card or have it automatically withdrawn from your checking or savings account. And that money uh, then will go to help all the wonderful programs that the American Council of the Blind uh, sponsors, uh, as well as helping the programs inside of the Mountain State Council of the Blind. So everything from the Braille Forum to ACB Radio to our wonderful community events to our advocacy work to our scholarships, our work with Audio Description Project, and on and on. So if you have any interest in joining the monthly monetary support program, you can get in touch with Donna, but you can also reach out to this email address, which is askacbmms at gmail.org. So that's askacbmms at gmail.com. Or you can call right now. There's a hotline available at 202 202- Seven four three zero seven five five. That's two zero two seven four three zero seven five five. All right. So that's one way we can work together between ACB and the Mountain State affiliate is to help in fundraising activities. We also have a grant writer that's available to help with any foundation grants as well as a development director. So reach out to JoLynn Bailey Page or Tony Stevens, and they're more than happy uh, to share ideas with you, as well as the Resource Development Committee, which offers a fundraising workshop at the National Convention every year and would be more than happy with their resources to reach out and help Mountain State in any way. The A in families is for advocacy. And here I have to give a big hip, hip, hooray (laughs) to the Mountain State Council of the Blind. You guys got the ball rolling this year with a wonderful, uh, you know, uh, legislative action when it came to accessible voting. And West Virginia kind of led the way working to get mail-in accessible voting put in place for this year's election. And it was Really, you know, the hard work of Mountain State, along with uh, Clark Rackful and Claire Stanley, who you'll hear from here later on this week, and really advocating and helping put the right, uh, you know, uh, pressure in the right places. West Virginia was really the first state out of the gate this year that got accessible voting started. And now I think at la- last count, 
uh, nationwide. ACB is involved in, I think, a little over 20 different efforts across the nation to provide accessible mail-in balloting. So thank you all for being the pioneers out there this year and showing all of us at the national level the way. So again, uh, another opportunity for us to work together. And what's coming very soon this fall is there's going to be a campaign for health and wellness uh, that will focus on advocacy, on fundraising, on communications, uh, all in the area of, of healthy living and wellness. Uh, we've got relationships with Peloton uh, that is a, you know, a, a internet uh, kind of at global exercise program with their exercise bikes. We have a relationship with them. The Achilles uh, Running Club, we have a relationship with them. And as Donna said, many Paralympians who ha are members of the American Council of the Blind, as well as even, I'll give a quick shout out to my wife, Leslie, <laughs> who, who leads two yogas and a resistance class on the community events every week. So there's really an emphasis out there to work through advocacy, to work through communication, to really in this time of COVID-19 and what we're dealing with to really concentrate on healthy living. And we see this day in and day out. And this is where American Council of Light can really play a role at the national level. My mom just got out of the hospital here yesterday and she's got a hot heart monitor on. And the way this stuff works now, she has a patch on her chest that then sends a signal to basically an iPhone that then receives the signal and sends it on to a monitoring center in Pennsylvania. And all is that all of that is done digitally and readouts are made available on the iPhone, which if you've got voiceover on, you can sometimes hear them, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But this is where the world is going more and more and more. And the digitalization of healthcare is something that the blind and visually impaired community has to get on top of really quickly, uh, or we're going to get left behind in our healthcare. So there's many other aspects of the campaign, but that's really an important one, especially dealing with diabetes which is the number one cause of blindness and low vision in the adult population in the United States between the ages of 18 and 55. So really health is so important in our community and you're gonna hear more and more about that. So the A in family is for advocacy. The M is in family is for magical membership and becoming a member of the American Council of the Blind can change your life forever. It really, really can. I'm, I'm, I'm a living testimony for that and that it is a place to belong. It is a place to give back. So I not only think of the American Council of the Blind as a place where you can receive, it's a place where you can give. And this is being demonstrated so, so well right now by our community events program, which is coordinated by Cindy Hollis, who's our membership services coordinator. I was shocked to hear the latest numbers from Cindy, and we talk fairly often. But this week alone, there are 80 community events, eight zero, 
80 community events, which will probably have over 3,000 participants that are dealing with everything from cooking and recipes and Instapots to just having a good social conversation to technology to exercise to uh, dating to having fun and gaming. I mean, anything you can think that you want to do, there is probably a community out event out there that you can get involved in. So I encourage you, reach out to Cindy Hollis, C Hollis, C-H-O-L-L-I-S at acb.org, and ask Cindy how you can get involved in a community event. You can also reach out at community at acb.org. And you can participate in these community events. If you can get on by Zoom, by a phone, you can be part of the conversation. We now have a community ACB internet radio channel that can be accessed through your Echo or your streaming device or on the phone or through your internet service. So there is so many ways to get involved. And you not only can participate, if you have an idea, you can become a panelist. You can host your own show. All you need is an idea. Run it by Cindy, and in a week, you can be up and hosting your own community event. So please take advantage of this. It's just a wonderful service, and it's just so exciting to see all the new voices that are getting involved in the American Council of the Blind. I mean, people from across the country and around the world are part of these conversations. And Donna Brown, who we're talking to, who's your president, uh, of course, and Katie and Randy and, and so many others are Zoom hosts. So they kind of host the calls. All, all of this is done by volunteers. It's all blind and visually impaired people helping each other. What could be what could be more exciting than that? It's just it's just absolutely amazing. Next, the I in family is for initiative and imagination. So again, we continue to redefine ourselves and re-explore what we can do and not do in the middle of this pandemic. So this year, um, the DC Leadership Conference, which is held at the end of February every year, where we spend time talking with, uh, having a board meeting, talking with our ACB presidents, having a legislative seminar, and then walking on Capitol Hill, that whole event is going to be done virtually this year through Zoom and ACB radio. And you say, oh, wow. How can you do that? How can you walk on Capitol Hill virtually? Well, this is where the imagination and the initiative comes in. I think this gives the Mountain State Council of Blind an opportunity they've never had before. So think not about just Donna and maybe one or two other people getting on a train or a bus and traveling to D.C. to participate in a three-day uh, D.C. leadership conference. Now the D.C. Leadership Conference will be aired on ACB Radio. It'll be on Zoom. Everybody <clears throat> can participate in it. And not only can you participate in it, think even broader. How does West Virginia set up a set of virtual Zoom meetings 
or perhaps even meetings at your local legislators' offices where you could advocate about the important issues that are helping the blind and visually impaired community today. Now it doesn't have to be one or two people. Each Zoom session could have three or four people from the actual representative's local district, real voting members that they need to answer to that are representing the American Council of the Blind and the Mountain State Council of the Blind and are talking to them about issues that can help the blind and visually impaired community. And guess what? ACB can be a partner through this exercise. We can provide uh, you know, help with setting up the Zoom meetings, with helping uh, to coordinate the activities, with providing the legislative seminar imperatives for everyone to talk about. So I look at this as just a wonderful opportunity for us to do the legislative seminar and the president's meeting differently than we've ever done it before. At the president's meeting, we can have breakout session and talk about all kinds of different topics that not only impact our presidents, but impact our entire membership. So I want you all to all keep your thinking caps on and think of being imaginative and innovative. And what can we do this year to make legislative seminar and the DC Leadership Conference better than ever? The L in family is for love and laughter. And I heard that from Glenn, LOL, right? Laugh out loud. I mean, we have to really always take a moment and just think uh, about how blessed we are to have the life and the love and the laughter that we have with each other. And I'm always taken back. I had a uh, one of our members the other day that was sharing a story with me, and she was introducing her family members uh, to a lighthouse where she was going for some rehab services. And so this lighthouse, I believe it was in Texas, they were telling the story, they were having a bingo night. So when she invited her extended family, like 10 or 12 people for her birthday to join her at the lighthouse bingo night. And they were like, oh my God, you know, are we gonna go and see all these depressed people in a room, blind, feeling sorry for themselves, playing bingo? How are they even gonna play bingo? So she takes them to this bingo night at her lighthouse. There's, you know, 80 people in the room. They're laughing, they're joking, they're coming up and saying hi to each other. They're telling stories. They're sharing food and drinks. They're playing bingo with no trouble with large large print bingo cards and braille cards they're screaming out when they win and the entire family just laughed and and enjoyed the evening and they said oh my god these blind people are just laughing and having a great time of course we are that's who we are we love to laugh and joke and have a great time so we have the ability every day to to teach a lesson to members of our community and sometimes even our extended family about, you know, being blind is not, doesn't define us in any stage or in in any way. It's just a characteristic. We choose how we live our lives and hopefully we live our lives with love and laughter and that's the only way to go through life. And then the why 
and family is for each of you together, you and all of us in the American Council of the Blind can make a difference. We can change the lives of the blind and visually impaired community for the better. But we have to decide that we are willing to put in the effort. It's not a lot of effort. The effort can just be going to your local restaurant and demanding a Braille menu, asking why there's no Braille signage on the bathroom door, or just being there and having fun and eating a good meal and sharing fellowship with friends and showing everybody out there that being blind and visually impaired is not in any way an impair, you know, a, a, a barrier to living a full and complete life. So each of you can make a difference in improving our ACB family. And with that, I want to wish you all just a wonderful convention. Uh, and I'm uh, available, I guess, Donna, for questions for a few minutes, if, if anybody has any, if that's what you'd like to do. All right, so I should go ahead and tell uh, folks in the audience that if you do have a question, uh, you can go ahead and raise your hand. Um, so for those of you on a Windows machine, um, that's going to be Alt-Y. I believe it's Option-Y on the Mac. Um, if you're on a touch screen device, you find and activate the More button and then find the Raise Hand button um, and activate that. And then it or it is a star nine on your telephone if you called it. And then once you've done that, uh, I will allow you to talk, and then you'll have to unmute, um, which you can do by pushing Alt-A or Command-Shift-A if you're on the Mac, or star six if you're on the telephone, or finding the button in the lower left-hand corner of your touchscreen device. Uh, Agnes is the first one with a hand up. Hi, this is Agnes Ferris from uh, Greeley, Colorado, and I don't have a question, but I have a couple of quick comments I'd like to make. Uh, I feel quite certain that when the people in West Virginia that are wanting to take advantage of your accessibility, I mean, accessible voting, will find it to be a great experience. I did it online for one of the elections here in Colorado. And it worked out really great. I don't know what your setup is, but what I had to do was do it online and print out some stuff. And then I could have either mailed it in or taken it to the polls. Well, I took it to one of the polls because I wasn't real sure how to get it ready and needed some help with that to be put um, in the ballot box. And I was not aware that we had actually had this in place. I had heard some scuttlebutt in the last over a year that, you know, efforts were being made in that direction. And it just happened that I called to ask a question about the talking voting machine that I had some issues with one of the last times I used it. And the supervisor and the head of it talked with me and asked me if I knew about this option. And I said I did not. And so, you know, he gave me the directions and I was able to put it in place, and it just worked out really great. 
Well, Agnes, thank you for those comments. And I think Colorado is one of those states that does uh, almost exclusively mail-in balloting, right? They do a lot of it. Yeah. Yes, they, uh, yes, Colorado does do a lot of mail-in ballot. Um, I don't know when they started doing this. I've, I've forgotten, but they automatically send everybody a ballot uh, in the mail, and you know you can use the and you can do the uh, mail-in ballot, and and it works out well. Um, contrary to some of the stuff that's been on the news about our system. And, you know, our system here for the mail-in ballot in general has worked out so well that other states keep calling Colorado and saying, you know, how do you do this and how did you work all this out? Well, very good. Thank you for that positive uh, input. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, next is a uh, phone number ending in 2898. Hello. Good evening. Who is this? This is Regina from Long Beach, California. Hi, Regina. Um, like, I guess I have a statement and a, a question. Um, I guess, had you guys thought about maybe having a class um, on the Zoom or something that would explain the different things of ACB? Like, for an example, I don't understand. What is this? I keep hearing about a board. Board for what? What do mm. they do? Sure. Uh, I keep hearing about bylaws. What is bylaws? Somebody said the uh, an executor well, director. Maybe executive director. Yeah. yeah well, is, well, you bring up a very good point because we have so many new people that are getting involved through the community events. Um, Thank you. I think that's a really, really good idea. Donna Brown, who's the president of Mountain State, is on our ACB board of directors. And I think you ask very good questions. You know, we throw all these acronyms and things around like everybody's been listening to them for 100 years. So I think, what do you think, Donna? Should we have a community event on just the ACB 101? ACB 101. I (laughs) like it. I yeah. think it's a fabulous idea, Regina, and thank you so oh, much for for expressing that. That that's, to be honest, it's it's not something I thought of, and and no. that's that's what we really appreciate people willing, you know, and having the confidence to to make suggestions like that. Thank you. Thank you, Regina. Did Enjoy. you have a question too? I, I think you said. Um, well, the only or thing that was it. Okay. Immediate is like, what is the board? What okay. is that? Oh okay. yeah. So, so the uh, the uh, <clears throat> the American Council Blind has a board of directors, as most all non for profits do. So we're incorporated in um, in the D.C. area, um, and we have a board of directors which consists of six officers and 10 board members uh, and they are kind of the governing body of the American Council of the Blind uh, between annual conventions. We are a membership driven organization so anything that is decided at our annual convention convention through resolutions or votes sets the direction of the organization and then in between uh, conventions that work is done by our board of directors which has a a president, a first and second vice president, a secretary, a treasurer, an immediate past president, and then 10 board members that are only a, one board member is allowed to be from a, a maximum of one board member from an affiliate. So they typically represent then at least 
uh, well, then 10 different affiliates, of which there are 68 inside the American Council of the Blind between our state affiliates and what we call our special interest affiliates. So ACB consists of chapters in some cases that roll up to state affiliates and then the state affiliates plus the special interest affiliates are all the affiliates of the organization. And besides our, and those are all volunteers. Our board of directors are all blind and visually impaired volunteers. And then we actually have a paid staff which has an executive director, which is Eric Bridges. Uh, and then we have another like nine uh, staff members, one of which is Claire Stanley, who, who's our uh, uh, advocacy specialist uh, that you will hear from uh, through the rest of this convention. Uh, and I, I won't name all the other staff members, but uh, because I don't want to take up too much time. But th- they are our paid staff, and we have two offices: one in Alexandria, Virginia, and one in. And then the financial team is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Okay. Thank Very you. Yep. Thanks for calling. It excellent suggestion. I I just wanted to remind to the pe- people who are in the um, panel. Uh, if you have a question, because Randy probably isn't really looking at the panelists, if if you want to unmute and ask a question, some of the some of mm. tomorrow's presenters are here tonight as panelists because that's the link they had, and they just you know. So if any of them have questions, just unmute and ask your question. Are there any more raised hands, Randy? There are not. Okay, that's uh, we we. Do any, do any of the panelists have any questions or comments for Dan? This is Glenn. Uh-huh. Hi, Glenn. I just wanted to thank you um, for uh, speaking at the convention, and you've done a wonderful job, and uh, it's been wonderful uh, having you coming and speaking on the uh, convention, and, and thank you so much. You're a real asset to ACB, and it's been wonderful working with you and, and having you on the program. Well, well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. And I think uh, Donna, I'll take just a, a last thing, just to un- help people understand maybe a little bit more about American council. Yeah, of blind. You, you have time. And, yeah, sure. And that's really that we are the collective voice of the blind and visually impaired community across the country. So if you think about it, you know, everyone has an individual voice and then you have a voice through Mountain State at the West Virginia level. But at the national level, we have the opportunity to have relationships that really connect us to many of like the Fortune 50 companies in the United States and around the world. So, I mean, we we have ongoing conversations with the uh, Vice President of Accessibility at Microsoft or at uh, Apple or at Google, uh, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, uh, the cable companies like Comcast and Charter Spectrum and Cox and, and, uh, and then companies like Walmart and Ford and General Motors about accessible autonomous vehicles. And, and so there's so many activities that happen at a national level that American Council of Blind provides a voice there. And just this last week, I had the opportunity to correspond 
with the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences about new regulations they're thinking of putting in place to require starting in a couple of years that the all movies nominated for the best picture Oscar uh, will require audio description. So, I mean, things like that, only a, a collective national voice can have that conversation. I've had correspondence with Karen Kenninger, who's the director of the National Library Service through the Library of Congress that does all the Braille and talking books. And she is always asking me, she just asked me for a representative for a technology group they're putting together on how to improve their technology at the library. Uh, I was in a conversation, a team of us last week with the 9-11 Memorial and Museum about how to make it more accessible for blind and visually impaired people. So there's these kind of conversations that happen you know, on a weekly, monthly basis, where by through a national organization like the American Council of the Blind, your voice is being heard and it's making a difference. So we really appreciate everybody being a member. And, uh, you know, if there's any committee that you'd like to get involved in at the national level, there's over 35 of them. You can go at, to acb.org and see the complete list. Um, you know, Donna is the, of course, chair of our uh, walk committee and on the board and involved in what, four or five different committees probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's, there's lots of opportunity out there and you don't have to be, uh, you know, quote unquote, somebody who's, you know, this quote unquote big shot or whatever that, that if you have an interest, uh, you know, please reach out to Donna or myself and we'll try to figure out how to get you involved. We, we're a volunteer driven organization, so we need everybody's voice. Yeah, we do have a, a one hand left. Uh, we have Fran. I know Fran. I do too. <laughs> hi, Fran. Hi, hi, Dan. Hi, Donna. Hey. Uh, and I've got a burning desire to know. Yes. What character did you play when you worked at Disney World? Well, as my wife would say, it has to be Goofy. <laughs> <laughs> No. And actually, and actually, I did do Goofy. I, did you really? I, I had to make a career decision at one point in my life when I graduated from the University of Florida. I was thinking about going back and getting my master's, and I got offered a job being the permanent main uh, main uh, Main Street Goofy at at Disney World at the Magic Kingdom, but or going back and getting my master's degree. And so I turned down the, the permanent job at Disney and, and went back and got my master's. But, <laughs> but I just enjoyed, I had, I had low vision back then. So I played the tall characters, Goofy, Brer Bear, Baloo, King Lion, you know, the big oh. bad wolf, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> it was really a lot of fun. And, and you don't realize when you're in those costumes, they're made of fiber fiberglass and, and steel reinforcement and, you know, and a lot of padding. 
And so, you know, like a Brer Bear costume weighs like 60, 70 pounds and just kind of harnessed. And and then when you're out of costume, you walk around with your character shoes on. So you always look funny because you got these big bare feet you're walking down through the hallways with and and the tunnels (laughs) underground. But it was a it was a great job to have while I was going to college because, you know, doing the parades and, and participating. And of course, as a low vision person, it was really hard to sign everybody's autographs. You know, everybody comes up with these autograph books and you're having to sign. I, I will tell you real quickly, my favorite story is I was playing um, uh, Brer Bear and I got called behind the Cinderella's castle uh, for a special guest. And it was Jimmy Buffett with his wife and little daughter. And so Jimmy Buffett, I'm like, my God, that's Jimmy Buffett. And so you're not allowed to talk, you know, when you're in Mm. costume, when you're in character. So he comes up with his three-year-old daughter, I think her name might've been Savannah and said, you know, could Br'er Bear, can my daughter have your autograph? And I'm like, I want to say, sure, Jimmy, no problem. But I signed her autograph book, Br'er Bear, you know, loves you or something, and gave it back to her. And I said, so I said, you know, that is a unique story when 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 Jimmy Buffett ask, is asking me for my autograph as Br'er Bear. So that was a cute story. <laughs> yeah. So. And and Fran Lyles, you know, he he joined the committee this year, and I think he's really enjoying being part of the transportation committee, isn't it? Your yeah, husband? I think he is. Yeah, he's. Are you? Yeah, I am. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Okay, good. <laughs> good answer, Lyle. <laughs> well, I'm on the committee too, so. I mean, oh, good. What? Do you, what? 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 I I work with the mini mall. That's right. Yes. I relieve, I relieve you of your hard-earned dollars. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> Enjoy the convention. Have a good night. We will. Yeah. Thank you. And I can't wait to hear Josh. I mean, Josh just does a spectacular job with all the walk songs every year. He's going to be great. Okay. Do we have any more hands, Randy? I don't want to. We do any... not. What Did you say there was none? My jaws was talking. No, we don't have any. Okay. All right, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And, and I know it's been kind of a rough week for you, and I'm sorry to bu- have bugged you. I, I had no idea that your mom was having some problems. And anyway, I'm, I'm glad you were able to be with us. And uh, thank you and hope you can stay and listen to Tony and, and Josh. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Go, Mount- go Mountaineers. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we are about on time, and and somebody mentioned last night that it, it's a lot easier to stay on time with Zoom, and and it kind of is. Um, so we're going to move on to our next uh, part of the program, and we have a presentation up close and personal with the real voice of the West Virginia Mountaineers, uh, Tony Caridi, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tony. Uh, you give me a chance to jump to another file. <laughs> um, okay. So that's one kind of neat thing, I guess, about doing um, conventions like this. You can have speakers that, you know, maybe it would have been hard to, to get. So Tony um, is a, a native, actually, of Lockport, New York. Uh, he he must not like that cold weather, I guess. Um, 
although West Virginia is cold, um, who moved to West Virginia after graduating from Syracuse University in 1984. Um, And Tony has been involved with West Virginia University Athletics since that time um, and has worked with the Mountaineers Sports Network for 33 years as a reporter, television host, and play-by-play announcer. Uh, Tony took over as the radio play-by-play announcer in 1997. Since 1986, Tony's hosted a nightly sports talk show on the Metro News Network. Uh, And this is a little side note. Tony actually did his radio show right before he came to be with us. Um, So for the last 15 years, Tony has also been involved with uh, Pike Wood Creative, um, which is a video production company based in Morgantown. So, Tony, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the convention of the Mountain State Council of the Blind, and we are so looking forward to hearing from you. Well, Donna, thank you so very much, and good evening to everyone. Um, Fingers crossed that technically everything sounds good on your end. Uh, It's my pleasure. Great. It's, (laughs) it's It's my pleasure to be with everyone, and I look forward to chatting with you. I, when Donna uh, reached out initially um, and asked if I would be available, um, I immediately wanted to be available uh, because I've always um, held um, the audience that is low vision or blind very, very near and dear to me as an announcer. And as we go on here this evening, I'll explain why um, to you all. So I'd like to start off a little bit with some background information about me to tell you a little bit more about my upbringing. And uh, Donna is right. I'm from a place called Lockport, New York, um, which is in Western New York, about 25 miles away from Buffalo. And it is one of the port cities there from the Erie Barge Canal. So you've got a bunch of ports, Lockport, Middleport, Spencerport, Gasport. And so Lockport sits right on uh, the Erie Barge Canal, and um, that's that's where it's located. And I wanted to give you a little background. How did it come about that I was came to West Virginia? And a little bit more about what I do, and then get into some specifics in regard to play-by-play. And then I'd really love, uh, really would love as many questions as possible, because I'm going to learn as much from you guys as listeners, as you will get from me, I think. So I'd love to make it as interactive as possible. So as Donna said, I'm from Lockport, New York, and I was raised um, by um, a pair of Italian parents. My dad uh, came to the United States when he was 32 years old, back in 1957, and did not speak a word of English. He met my mom and decided to stay here in the United States and had no grocery store experience whatsoever, but bought a grocery store. Uh, He had been in a successful business in the fruit industry in Italy uh, with his brothers, but decided that he wanted to make a change because he was the traveling salesman for the company and literally um, was never home. He would would pre-sell all of the citrus and oranges and limes and lemons 
throughout the uh, country of Italy, but he realized at some point, hey, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And so he came to the United States, uh, fell in love with it, and then eventually fell in love with my mom. And so a couple of years later, they're married, and my dad owns a grocery store that was open seven days a week from nine in the morning till 10 at night, and the employees were family. That was it the five of us. I have an older brother, older sister. And so I was truly raised in a grocery store and would only go home um, to sleep. That's what we used our house for about a mile away, but I would go home from school to the store. And so that was the environment that I was raised in. And in hindsight, it allowed me to become extremely social at a relatively early age because I was working in the store and was doing everything that you do inside of a small mom and pop grocery store. And so it allowed me to meet all different types of people um, from young and old and every demographic and every socioeconomic um, position. And so I think in hindsight now, years later, it's made me extremely comfortable um, to speak to anyone and everyone. And it gave me a tremendous insight into um, blue collar, uh, hard work. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, my dad and my mom were in that store for 52 years. And I lost both of them uh, in 2017 in a six week span. Uh, my dad was almost 93. My mom was almost 90. And um, my mom passed after a short illness. And six weeks later, my dad was gone as well. So we were one of those quintessential um, extremely tight uh, Italian families. Uh, however, my dad would always tell me and my brother and sister that he wasn't there for us to take over his grocery store, but he was working there so that we could do whatever it was that we wanted. And he afforded us that opportunity. And so upon graduation um, from high school, uh, I wanted to go into the field of communications and that was a love that I developed even way back when. I mean, I think as early as fifth grade, I had an inkling and a, an interest in radio. I think nowadays they would diagnose me as uh, ADD uh, or hyperactive, but I would get up like five in the morning and I would listen to the radio and I fell in love with it. And at night I would go to bed listening to sports, um, the NFL team, the Bills, or the NHL team, the Buffalo Sabres. Back then, we had an NBA team, the Buffalo Braves. And so that was my point of listening at night and saying to myself, I can absolutely remember saying to myself, man, that's, that's a really neat job. That's a really neat job. That's what I would like to do. And as I've come to learn over the years, not a lot of people, you know, have that moment, that epiphany that young, but I was always heading in that direction really that I can remember from the fifth grade on. I remember telling one of my elementary school teachers that one day I would own a radio station, W-T-O-N-Y, not knowing that you can only have um, uh, three letters after the W. But anyway, um, so I, I was interested in it and started doing public address announcements in ninth grade and then in high school. 
So when I graduated from high school, um, I attended a college for the first two years called the State University of New York at Geneseo. And I realized the summer of my freshman year that the program was a little bit behind where I needed to be for what I wanted to do. And I took an internship at a television station in Buffalo, New York, and it really opened up my eyes as to what the business really was. Uh, an internship that allowed me to do a ton of things. So by the time I went back for my sophomore year, I realized that I needed to make a move, which led me to spend my sophomore year there and then transfer for my junior and my senior year at Syracuse. And for those that don't follow it real closely, Syracuse has had a great deal of success through the years of turning out a lot of broadcasters. And it's just been something that literally goes back like now, my goodness, uh, like 70 years. Um, Marv Albert and Dick Stockton and Bob Costas and Len Berman and most recently Mike Tirico and Sean McDonough and people that Ian Eagle and people that you hear um, on the air still um, right now. So I jumped in there in my junior year got as much experience as I possibly could. I ate everything up that I could. And by the time I was a senior, you get to that point where you graduate and you go, okay, now what? And I received a phone call one Saturday morning. It was uh, a week or so after I had graduated and I had taken a job at that point, just a part-time job as the overnight newsman at a radio station in Syracuse, New York. I would go to work at 11 at night. And I would be done at 7 a.m. And I would do newscast. But news was not really my desire or my liking. It was sports. So one morning, I get a phone call shortly thereafter from this guy in Morgantown, West Virginia. And he said that his name was Hoppy. And I had never heard of anyone named Hoppy before. And I didn't know what to make of it. But he told me that he had a radio news job available at a station in Morgantown, WAJR. And I was not real interested in it because I didn't want to do news. I thought at that time that I had a job lined up doing sports in New York, Pennsylvania. So I told Mr. Hoppy, thank you very much. However, I'm really not a news guy. I'm a sports guy and I'm going to get a job in York, Pennsylvania. Well, lo and behold, about, Three days or four days later, the York, Pennsylvania thing didn't happen, nor was it going to happen. So I called up Mr. Hoppy and I said, you know, I really am a news guy. And fortunately, he said, all right, come on down here. So I came to Morgantown and interviewed and was overwhelmed by the station, the equipment and the setup. And in time, a day or so later, um, worked my way um, to take the radio news job at WAJR. And it launched, um, you know, here I am 36 years later. That was 1984, in August of 1984. I thought for sure that I would spend six months in Morgantown. And in the broadcast business, that's normally how it goes. You just start popping and moving around and you climb this, uh, this uh, fictitious ladder 
but there were always reasons to stay in Morgantown. And as soon as I got to Morgantown, there was talk of the creation of the Metro News Radio Network, which happened about a year later. And uh, they named me the sports director. So I started to do more and more sports. And I became affiliated with the Mountaineer Sports Network, which was run by the university at that time. And that's kind of what started to happen. I met my wife um, a few months after I had started working there. We were married in 1988, and our first baby came in 1991, and then uh, more reason to stay. We had twins in 1995, and all of a sudden, as you guys know, time goes by so quickly. Before you know it, it's like, wow. And as Donna said, I took over the radio play-by-play job in 1997. Uh, Jack Fleming, the legendary voice of the Mountaineers, became ill at the very start of the 96 season. And I started to replace him uh, doing games in 96. Did all, did all but one of their two of the football games, and I did all the road basketball games. Um, Morgantown was always a great place for me to be because my regular day-to-day job uh, as you know, is WAJR and West Virginia Radio Corporation. And they always gave me the flexibility to what we call freelance, which means go out and do, you know, other events. And so while Jack was the voice of the Mountaineers and I was here from like 1986 on, I would leave on the weekends and I would, if I wasn't doing a West Virginia game on the Mountaineer Sports Network television, I did the, uh, what is now known as the Westwood One college football game of the week. And I was able to get a lot of other freelance opportunities, both in football and basketball. So it quenched my thirst to do play by play, which is, is my ultimate love. That's my, the thing that I love to do the most. And as Donna said, in 1986, I took over a daily statewide talk show called the Metro news statewide sports line, which I've been doing since then. And that airs each night from six until seven o'clock. And, you know, as I said a moment ago, time just goes by so quickly. I've had the great fortune of working uh, now with, uh, you know, Don Nealon and Gail Catlett and Rich Rodriguez, Bill Stewart, Dana Holgerson, and now Neil Brown. And in football, you know, from Don Nealon to Rich and Stu and basketball from Coach Catlett to John Beeline and now Bob Huggins, who's getting ready for his 14th year. So that is my background. Uh, the one other thing that I do, uh, about 15 years ago, we started a production, video production company called Pikewood Creative. And I kind of oversee that on a day-to-day basis. And we've, uh, you know, we've done a lot of things from um, – video commercials and our, our big accomplishment was we uh, made a documentary about legendary WVU basketball player, hot rod Hunley. And we were able to win an Emmy award, uh, a local Emmy award uh, for that. So that's kind of our pride uh, and joy that we were really happy that that all played out. So that's my background. Um, and if possible, I'd like to jump in now and talk a little bit about the specifics of play-by-play and go back to my initial point, how I've always cherished 
my time or my thought process involving um, those that are um, low vision or, um, or, you know, don't have any vision blind at all. And the reason I said that is because there are, there are stark differences between broadcasting on radio and television in regard to a sporting event. Um, television play-by-play is uh, much more leans much more toward the analyst of the broadcast because people can see uh, the what's happening on the screen and the analyst is the heavy um, influence on what you hear because they're describing or explaining why certain things are or are not working. On the opposite side of that is radio play-by-play. Radio play-by-play is much, much more um, leans much more to the actual play-by-play announcer and not as dependent upon the analyst. And the reason why is the job of a radio play-by-play announcer is to become the eyes for the listener and to describe in ultimate detail what is happening, whether it's on a football field or a basketball court or a hockey rink or whatever the venue is. And so I've always had that as the number one object to me in broadcasting a game is to attempt to describe what is happening in the ultimate detail so that a person that cannot see can have that understanding of what is happening and my thought is that if I'm able to accomplish that, then that that will be more than enough for those that can see. And so folks like you are my absolute first and most important objective. That's what I strive to do. And it's not something that I think about once in a while. It's something I think about constantly. It's something I think about in a commercial break. Okay. Am I describing it to the detail where folks will know where it is? And so the ultimate compliment that a radio play-by-play announcer can get is if someone were to come to them and say, hey, I, I absolutely can see where the ball is. I can, it's almost like I am there. So that's, the, that's what I attempt to do. And as you all know, you try the best you can. Some nights are better than others. Some days are better than others, but that's always the ultimate goal. And so when Donna called and said, would you be willing uh, to speak? I absolutely said, yeah, a thousand percent. And, you know, fortunately the unintended consequence of COVID is that, you know, I'm available to, to be here with you. Normally um, Friday nights are, are kind of chaotic um, in the season, but this works out extremely well. So I'd like to, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. Um, I'm going, what I want to head into now is starting to talk about specifics and terminology that you may hear on a broadcast or words that I may use. And I'll do that for football, basketball. Um, but maybe I'll pause right now here and ask, is there anyone, and I'm totally f- would love to hear, if anyone has any questions to this point or 
if you would like for me to go into a certain direction, I'll absolutely do that. So we'll use this as a jumping off point. And if not, then I'll just kind of jump right in. Are there any questions? Oh, we do. Go ahead, Randy. Yes, we do. <laughs> First one I saw is Brenda uh, Hordorf. Orndorf, yeah. Orndorf. Uh-huh. Um, I'm Brent Orndorf. I'm in the land of the Martinsburg Bulldogs, who we hope tonight beat Spring Valley in hit game 58. Tall order. Um, Tony, <laughs> I have followed you for a long time, and I'm going to use one of your words. I don't want to engage in frittering. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a very uh, good listener. Last yeah. night, three guys, right? Yes. But uh, I'm curious, uh, and I want to say that I love the rapport that you and Brad Howe have established. All the research, the play-by-play is great, but you guys come up with some great research statistics. And that really adds a lot. You know, I've had these arguments with people. They'll say, oh, this happened, this happened. I'm like, no, I'm going by what the radio people say because they're the experts. <laughs> they're on the field. They see it, Right. So having said that, I just want to tell you, I really love what you do. I followed you a long time. I love the research. And before you leave, I hope that you will tell us, because I know that you guys open a lot of food on (laughs) Three Guys, what is the favorite food? Because I know you are a food preparer. Yes. (laughs) Uh, What's the favorite food that you do that that you like uh, before you finish? Thank you so much for being with us. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I will, I'll make a note right here. We'll talk food before we're done. <laughs> Is there anybody else, Randy? I'm on the panel. Can I ask a question? Uh, oh, wait. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, you have a panelist. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, this is Doug Hunsinger. First, I want to say thank you so much uh, for being with us. It's such an honor. I'm in Pittsburgh, and I love basketball and miss Big East basketball. And I just wanted to thank you for doing a great job because I listen to you as often as I can here. Thank you. And the question I have that I hope you can answer is what is the most memorable game that you ever called, uh, basketball or football? Wow. Um, so that's kind of, thank you very much. That's kind of like, which kid do I love the most of my three, right? So, um, <laughs> You know, I would say this, and I'll I'll probably try to get to one here, but I would say this, that um, I've been unbelievably blessed in the time that I've been here to have been able to announce some of West Virginia University's greatest wins. Uh, I would think in basketball, it would have to be the victory over Kentucky in 2010 to advance to the Final Four for the historical significance of that, because West Virginia had not been to the final four since the Jerry West late 1950s era and the total unexpected uh, result in that game, because as you probably know, you know, all five of the starters from Kentucky and then a few other players were drafted in the NBA. So in basketball, it would probably be that one. And in football, again, same kind of a deal that, you know, a lot of massive victories. We had the victory in the Orange Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, and the Fiesta Bowl. Um, And I think that they each kind of fit in to a category. I I would think that Sugar Bowl um, is right there. But I think the, the historical significance of Bill Stewart's victory in the Fiesta Bowl over Oklahoma um, would probably might edge the thing out only because 
the state of the Mountaineer program at that moment was in such disarray because of Rich Rodriguez's departure a few weeks earlier than that game. And here come the Mountaineers against an Oklahoma team that had an eventual Heisman winner quarterback in Sam Bradford. And that day, I vividly remember Lee Corso on ESPN saying, you know, I'm not quite so sure if Oklahoma isn't the best team in the nation. And for West Virginia to go out there and steamroll them, um, that was massive. And so, as I said, you know, a lot of good ones to pick, pick from, uh, but those are probably, uh, probably two that I would always lean toward the top. Thank you. Any others? Uh, not at the moment. Okay, cool. So let me let me jump in here and um, kind of give you an explanation. And Donna did a good job earlier today when I chatted with her regarding some terminology that you know I I'm sure multiple guilty charges against me that you just use terminology and you just assume that people know. And, you know, she asked me today, like snapping a ball, the center snaps the ball. What what exactly um, does that mean? And so great question. And, and and so let's just kind of put this, let's try to figure this thing out. And I'm going to kind of walk you through what I attempt to do um, in play by play. Now I'll tell you this, that I have with me, um, every time I do a football game, football, football is a challenging game to broadcast. It's a fun challenge. Uh, there are 22 players on the field at the same time. They all wear helmets. And so you have, as an announcer, you can't identify them by their facial features. And so you have to use memorization to know the numbers. And so I go into each game and I use what are called spotting boards, which I prepare during the course of the week. And on that board, and uh, each team, you know, I'll have one for West Virginia and one, for example, next week for Oklahoma State. On that board in front of me, I have what they call a depth chart. A depth chart is the order that a player would appear. In other words, you've got a starting quarterback, first string. You've got a second string quarterback. Some schools have a third quarterback. So I'll have those guys in, in little boxes. And when I, and in each box, it would say the player's name first as big, as big as possible. will have his number. So Jared Deggy, where's number two. And it would say Jared Deggy, you know, six, three, 210 pounds, a red shirted junior hometown and his high school. And then inside that, little box of information. I will also have what his statistics were from the previous week's game, what his statistics are for the season in total, and what his career statistics are. So in Deggie's case, it would be like um, for his career, you know, he is, well, let's just for the season, he's completed 170 out of 200 passes and he's thrown seven touchdowns, two interceptions. He averages 262 passing yards per game. That's all in front of me. And so it's not only for the quarterbacks, it's for the running backs, it's for the wide receivers, it's even for the offensive linemen. And then each week I go in and I add biographical notes 
about the player that may be used during the broadcast. And so, for example, um, Jared Deggy last week in his box, I had 18th career start because he had started as a quarterback prior to transferring to West Virginia at Bowling Green. I would put a year ago, um, you know, through for X number of yards and have those stats. I would have maybe a note that said spent the quarantine in his hometown of Lubbock, Texas, working out in an indoor uh, complex. His dad is a high school coach in Lubbock, Texas. Little bio notes, again, that are may or may not use. I'll do that for every single player. Um, and I list those players, the running backs who will touch the ball and the, and the wide receivers. I list them in order, not of where they stand on the chart. In other words, who is going to get in first, who's going to get in second, who's going to be in third, but rather we do that numerically. So in West Virginia's case, with a go zero, uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton, number one, TJ Simmons, and down the list. And I'll explain the reason why in just a second. And then I've got their offensive line in front of me. They each have their own little box where they'll be on the field, left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, where they are, and their height, weight, hometown, and a couple of bio notes on those guys. And then the punter and the kicker and the holder. It's all in front of me. So think as I go into the booth, I've got this massive cheat sheet in front of me. Okay. I use what are called spotters. So someone will come in and there'll be an extra set of eyes for me during the broadcast. And they, one guy will take West Virginia, one person will take the other team. And when a play happens, they are pointing to whomever has the ball, who threw a great block, who recovered a fumble, who made the tackle. I rely on them, okay? So I've got one to my right and one to my left. They each have their own board. I wear, I use binoculars, and they're on my face the entire game. Um, and that's where I am. I'm just constantly looking there. I use a memorization system that I learned in college to help me memorize all of the players each week that could touch the football. I don't really memorize offensive linemen. I don't memorize, you know, defensive players for the most part. I'll try to remember their best players on defense, but anyone that could conceivably touch the ball. Now, obviously I go into every game and I got West Virginia down every week because they're just, they're there all the time. However, I, the opposing team, I use this memorization system, and it takes me about three, four days while I walk in the morning. I walk for like 40 minutes. So figure it out. What's that like? About three hours maybe that I'm memorizing these players' names because I need to know them as soon as that ball is caught. Who is it? And even though I have people pointing, they're kind of like my backup system in case I miss it or I didn't see it, or if there's a scramble and a fumble and they see it, it just, you just need help in, in football. And so that's, that's how I operate. Um, so I have my headset on and in my headset, I can hear my color analyst on the Mountaineer sports network, who is Dwight Wallace, but I also have a statistician who you do not hear on the ear, 
but he's in my head each play and he can come in and he has a microphone and he will say to me how many yards were gained on the play. So as soon as the play's over, he'll say, I'll hear in my headset, four, seven, 13. And so you've got this little symphony going on on every single snap where spotters are spotting, statistician is telling you what it is, your color analyst is talking. So there's kind of like this, this little symphony of, of conversation or confusion. And um, it, it's interesting. And then there'll be other people like a producer can also come in your headset who's also in the booth and give you information like great block by, you know, Bobby Smith, great block by Smith. I'll hear that in my headset too, because I'm following the ball. And so I'll say, you know, for example, Letty Brown off the right side, you know, he gained seven yards on the play and I may not have seen it, but they might say, Great, uh, great block by Michael Brown. And I'll say, right guard, Michael Brown had a great block on the play. Funny little story. I mentioned that Sugar Bowl earlier. So my wife and family, my kids were at the game at the Sugar Bowl. And when West Virginia goes on the road, we have provided the our listeners, our fans, with a little radio broadcast so that they can hear the Mountaineer Sports Network broadcast even when we're on the road. So the night we played the sugar bowl, my wife brought her radio and it's a little FM tuner thing that you can listen to. And so that evening, the feed, the audio that we put into that device was the wrong feed. So rather than getting just the feed that was going on the radio, the feed that everyone heard in the crowd there in the Georgia dome was what we call the dirty feed. In other words, the feed that's got my statistician, the producer, and everyone else. And so when I got back to the room after the game was over, my wife said to me, I walked in and she said, you're a fraud. And I said, what are you talking about, a fraud? She goes, I listened to the game. She said, I always thought you knew what was going on. Everyone tells you what to say. And so for the first time, it was revealed that I've got people that are in my headset. And that's the challenge of football, right? You're on a very, very big field. You're normally way up in the air, away from the field. So you need as much help as possible. So in football, my, my essential items are this. As a play-by-play announcer, providing the score and the time remaining are the two biggest absolutes because I've never heard anyone complain after they listen to a broadcast anywhere to say, you know, I was listening to a game the other night and the announcer gave the score and the time too much. I've never, ever, ever heard that, right? It's always the other way around. The announcer doesn't give the score enough. So what I try to do to help me try not to be a problem with that, I try to give the score and the time every 90 seconds. And I know it's 90 seconds because I have a timer with a strobe light that strobes every 90 seconds, if it works. And I've had that with me ever since I started doing the games. It's a good reminder to me to give score and time because listeners 
um, for the most part, don't listen to a whole game all of the time, but they'll still listen a little bit. What's the score? What's the time? A little, little bit, in and out, in and out. So my job is to make sure that I give score and time. The next most important thing for me is to call the formation. And I think, and I'd love later on if some folks are regular listeners to get your feedback on that. But what I do is I try to describe what the formation is so that people will have an understanding of what it looks like before the play happens. But what you do is you you sometimes, if you don't know the initial uh, language, then it may become very confusing. So I'm hoping here that maybe I can shed some light on a few of these terms that I use and um, it'll help alleviate that. So a football field is a hundred yards long and it's 53 and one third yards wide. And on each football field, the yardage is marked off with a white horizontal line every five yards. So there are a series of stripes every five yards on the field the number of how many yards have passed since the goal line are prominently displayed. So there's the first major line at five yards, and then at the 10-yard line in tens, the, the amount of yards on the field is there. So it'll say a big, huge one and a zero, a 10, and then 10 yards more upfield, a 20, and then to the 30, the 40, and at midfield, it says 50, and then it descends from there back down the other way every 10, 40, 30, 20, 10, and the goal line. So those numbers are prominently placed on both sides of the field from where the spectators are sitting, and that gives them the indication, okay, where is this ball? So in addition to those five-yard breaks on the field, there are individual smaller little horizontal lines that designate every yard. So it starts and there's a hundred yards. So there's a hundred stripes, one, two, three, four. And then the bigger line is the five and then all the way up. And those yard, those yard lines. Okay. Constitute what are called, what we call the hash marks. So those are small lines and that designates the hash marks. So a football field, as you can probably tell, it's got a bunch of lines on it. And the ball is snapped, and we'll talk about that in a second. The ball will never be snapped very, very wide, and it will always be contained within those two sets of hash marks in the middle of the field. And I don't know the exact separation that they are, but they're probably 10, 15 yards apart from one another. So you've got those hash marks down the middle of the field. I will use those indicators constantly to say where the ball is. So let's say, for example, a ball is kicked off and the return man starts from the goal line and he runs up the field and he's in the middle of the field and he gets hit at the 19-yard line, and he's dropped at the 19-yard line, and he falls at right at the right hash mark, okay? 
So I'm using a, a point there to try to tell you exactly where that ball is. So if the ball lands, if the kid lands right at the right hash mark, that's where the ball will be placed down by the official for the center to go over the ball, and that's where the play will begin from. So what that means and what that does is that means if the ball is on the right side hash mark, it's shorter from that point to the right side boundary than it is to the left side boundary because those hash marks are not in the middle of the field. They're off to the sides. That's why you'll hear terminology, I'll say. West Virginia puts a single receiver to the short side of the field. When I say short side, that means the ball's on that extreme hash mark to the right, which makes the right side the short side and the left side the wide side of the field. The other terminology sometimes you'll hear an announcer use, um, they lined up three guys to the boundary, the out-of-bounds, which is the short side, or the field, the wide-open side. And we sometimes, not we sometimes, we do, we get too technical in that jargon. And I think it's simpler. I try to, I try to make it simple. So I'll say the short side of the field or the wide side of the field, that's where that ball is going to be snapped. Now, sometimes the play will, the last play will take place right dab smack in the middle of those two hash marks. And so the ball will be snapped from that point and the ball is snapped right in the middle of the field. Okay. So that's, that's in essence what that field has on it, a bunch of lines and hash marks that designate how far up the field they are. Donna had asked a center snapping the ball. What's it mean? So a center literally puts his hand on top of the football and sends it back between his legs. That's a snap. He gets down in a crouched position, as are all of the offensive linemen, and he will put one hand on the ball and he will snap it between his legs. In the old days, so to speak, less now more than ever, a quarterback would position himself right underneath the center's backside and place his hands right underneath the center, and that center would only have to snap the ball back a foot, and the quarterback's hands were right there to take that football, and that quarterback would then backpedal out of there and make the run the next play. However, football has changed, and now you hear the use of the term shotgun formation. So what a shotgun formation is, that means that the quarterback no longer goes right underneath his center's backside, but he will, he will step back about five yards. So you've got a, a good chunk of distance there between the center and the quarterback, and that center snaps that ball back between his legs on a spiral right into the quarterback hand, a quarterback's hands. So that leads us to calling what a formation looks like. So nowadays, the way we're playing, most every team is using a shotgun formation. It's almost a given. And in that, in, in football, you must have five, a minimum of five players on the offensive line of scrimmage where the ball is going to be snapped from. So then you've got six other players, okay? Most of the time, you will see two running backs, 
along with the quarterback in the backfield. And I try to designate where they're located. I'll say, for example, the running back is off the left shoulder of the quarterback. So if you can imagine a center over a football, a quarterback directly in line behind him about five yards back, a running back off to his left shoulder, and then I'll oftentimes use the terminology of where the receivers are. So I'll say West Virginia is using four receivers in the formation. Okay, so four that can go out there and catch it. And I'll say two are, two are to the right and two are to the left. And so you've got that clump of offensive linemen who are shoulder to shoulder with one another. And then those receivers, I got to remember, it's a 53 and a half, 53 and a third yard width of a field. They're out, way out to the outside, out near um, the sideline sometimes, out near those big numbers that are on the field. They're flanked way outside, you know, 15, 18 yards off to each side. And so there's a bunch of formations that teams use. Sometimes they'll put three receivers out to one of those sides and a single lone receiver to the other side. Sometimes they use a tight end who's one a big-bodied person who, who will line up on that offensive line to give a team the opportunity to be stronger up front and perhaps run the ball better. Sometimes a team will also use a fullback, which is kind of like a mini version of a tight end. Their purpose, for the most part, is to powerfully block and open up holes so that the team can run the football. Uh, West Virginia, for example, has had some really good fullbacks. Uh, Owen Schmidt, uh, who played in the National Football League of recent vintage, but we've had good ones. So that's what I attempt to do every time West Virginia comes to the line of scrimmage, and that's called the formation defensively really don't do a ton with the formation. Um, Maybe make a mention, but there's 11 guys over there and they can line up in any form and fashion. There could be three of them right on top of the, of the, the offensive lineman. There could be four. They can get right up on top of them. I mean, breath to breath and crowd up that line. Sometimes you'll hear us say they've loaded up the box. There's a fictitious box that teams um, defensively fill with either uh, could have five guys in there, could have four. The less number of bodies inside that area, higher chance that a team sees that and will run the football. When the box is heavily loaded and you're outnumbered by defenders with how many blockers you have, then there's a very good chance that they're going to pass the football. And so that's my attempt to call the formation, to call who has the ball, to let you know what direction that player is running in, what yard line he is at, how he is hit, at the knees, in the hips, in the shoulder, how they wrap them up and throw them down, how many yards the play gained, what then now is the down remaining and the distance. You've got to get 10 yards in four plays, so first down, second down, third down. And if not, then punt. And then where was the defensive player who made the play? So, and then of course, score in time. So that's kind of like the the fundamentals of what I'm trying to do in, in describing football. Basketball is obviously a game that goes much, much quicker. 
And my goal there, in essence, is to do the same, the exact same thing, to best describe using vectors or position points on the floor to give people an idea of where the ball is and what the player is doing. Again, scoring time is even more essential in basketball because the score changes so so quickly. So in basketball, 94 feet court, 94 foot of a court, um, there, is a, there is a massive line in the middle of the floor at 47 feet, which is the mid-court line. I'll say the mid-court line, the half-court line, center court. I use different terms. Inside, right at that middle of the floor, there's a, there's a large circle where games start uh, for a jump ball. And then, so will you, I'll, I'll use that as a point like, um, you know, Deuce McBride brings the ball up, crosses over the midcourt line. What I'm trying to do is tell you exactly at what point on the floor he has moved. And sometimes it goes so quickly that um, it's difficult uh, to, to say it exactly every time. But that's that's what I'm attempting to do. And then um, you, you you've got a you've got a you've got a uh, a court which has you know um, two corners. I try to say is he in the deep corner or the short corner? In other words, is his, are his feet pinned to the deep side in the corner or is he up a little bit? Uh, makes it the short corner. There is a there is a a foul line lane in the area. And it is in a different color in the middle of the floor underneath the basket. And it's 15 feet um, long. It's in the middle of the floor. That's time. Well, you'll often hear us use the terminology, you know, put the ball into the paint. Uh, the, the lane is colored in a different color, same color on both ends of the floor. But we use that as an idea. That's where the big guys play. So the big guys for West Virginia, the Derek Culver's, the Oscar Sheewaste, chances are they're operating their strength is inside that box, inside the lane. And the other guys who are the shooters operate around the outside of the floor. And what I'm attempting to do is to let you know where that ball is. How did they get the ball? Was it a bounce pass? Was it a chest pass? Are they driving to the right side of the rim and putting the shot up off of the backboard from the right side or the left side, or did they go straight at it? Did they dunk it with one hand, two hands? Um, Trying to provide as much detail as possible to, again, paint a image so listeners know what's happening. So that's kind of a I don't know if a general overview is the right way to say that. I don't know if that's been helpful um, to you, but I'm totally open and and would love to hear any questions that that uh, that you might have. Can I ask a question as a panelist? Oh, please do, Tony. This was wonderful. Thank you. This is Dan. Uh, my question for you: Do you describe much? Um, you know, as a blind person. Uh, interesting, like you're playing, you know, Boone Pickens Stadium, Stillwater, Oklahoma next weekend. Right. Do you describe the stadium itself, what it kind of looks like, the surroundings of the stadium, what the coaches are wearing on the sidelines, kind of that look and feel before the game gets started? Is that part of your broadcast? It's a good question, and partly yes. And so what I attempt to do in both sports 
is to describe what uniform they are wearing. And so I try to do my best to describe it nowadays. In the old days, uh, West Virginia used to have two uniforms, right? They used to have one on the road and one at home. Mm. And nowadays, it's an absolute fashion show. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They have so many different um, possibilities from colors of helmets to jerseys. Um, And so I do say, okay, for example, um, you know, West Virginia is wearing a blue jersey with golden numerals, blue pants, a gold stripe down the side. And today they're wearing their white helmet um, with the flying WV on the side. And then during the broadcast, I'll attempt a couple of times to, again, incorporate that. Like, you know, here come the white clad mountaineers or the blue clad mountaineers. So I do attempt to do that. I probably don't do enough describing the stadium, but that's a good suggestion, which I should try to do. And I know that a lot of times there's there's different painting and images in the end zones, and some are right. double deckers, and some are single yes. deckers, some are open ended, and some have our sides of mountains, and just all kinds of different exactly. cool stuff. Yeah, yes, you're absolutely right, and that's a good point. And then the other thing I noticed, I hear a lot. And first of all, as a blind person, there is no comparison between radio and television. So yeah, no, we, when, we, when you, you guys said that, are, I was like, amen. Amen. You oh, guys yeah. are just awesome. But, but I hear a lot now where, you know, they'll say twins, to the left trips to the right. And I right. know that means double two receivers to the left, three to the right, that type of thing, or empty backfield, blah, blah, blah you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So that gets, that gets described that way a lot as well. Yeah. And, and uh, just real quick. So empty backfield, what does that mean? That means the only person back there is the quarterback. quarterback. That means that we've got, you've got five receivers going out. Oftentimes it's in a, a situation, as you probably know, situation where they're most likely going to pass the football. So we just mm-hmm. use, and again, see, that's the kind of thing. Like I just fall back on that term. Well, it's an empty backfield and you just kind of assume that people know, but they don't know. So you know, at some points I, I need to do better saying, hey, empty backfield, that's, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll say the only person back there is the quarterback. And, you know, we use that little thing, trips. Well, what's trips? Trips are triple three, three receivers to the left, twins, two receivers to the right. Um, football in all sports, but football a great deal. You can get absolutely um, lost in the jargon and and you really have to try to do it's always good to, to hear this because you gotta you gotta break it down it does no good um for you to be the smartest guy in the room you got to people you're there for people to understand it and that's what's key and i gotta share one my my dad his father owned a grocery store him and his two brothers worked there all the time delivering groceries and all that and he he's 88 now and he still tells all these stories about <laughs> being part of a grocery store and and he goes far enough back that like you know during the war his dad had all these you know it was a neighborhood they had tabs they they paid oh, yeah. when they could exactly you know, all, the you know, same all, thing. all this different and so what are those kind of life lessons that you took from your years growing up in a grocery store? Well, that's a great story because we did the same thing. We had tabs on the wall where people didn't have the uh, ability to pay um, when they would get stuff and we did whatever, when they could get it, they would pay. I just think what it taught me more than anything was uh, several things. Number one, um, if you, you, you've got to work hard, you, you've got to work hard in life. 
Um, there's no, there's no other way around that. And it told me, it showed me, you know, my dad came here and didn't speak a word of English. And what it showed me was you can do whatever you want, um, and be really ultra. You can be very, very successful just by showing up and doing it every day. Right. Um, I, I think oftentimes like what would happen to me if I was 32 years old and went to a foreign country right now and tried to earn a living? I mean, like yeah. the thought of that would just like send me into a, you know, just like, Oh my gosh. But they just like, there were survivors. Right. And so it, it, it showed me, you treat people with respect. Um, it showed me that no one's better than anyone else, whether they have money or they don't have money. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, people are, are really, really good people. Um, and I, it was, it was, you know, I didn't like it as I grew up. I didn't like it, hated it. I'd say hated. I just like, Oh, why am I doing this? <laughs> and in, and in hindsight, it was the greatest thing that ever could happen, um, to me because it just, it, it was life lessons that you could never have learned anywhere else. In the relationship building, right? It was all sure. about relationships and integrity and honesty and sure. those type of things, those values. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Hey, uh, this is Glenn um, Pinkard. I'm uh, the convention chair. I just want to thank you uh, for coming and uh, speaking, and everything's just wonderful. And your your uh, announcing is just so beneficial to the blind community and and everyone. <clears throat> we we have a hand raised. I think yes, we do. We have yeah. Kathy Dearhart. Can you hear me now? Well, yes, but Kathy, you weren't here when you won your door prize. I know. Man. And I want that door prize. Oh, well, you'll get it. You'll get oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, did, I did miss the beginning. That's but okay. I just heard just, Brenda's just question, to. and I have enjoyed Tony's presentation, but I didn't want him to leave without answering that question about the food. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Ka- Kathy and I share when we're in person convention. We we share a room and and we both kind of like to eat, and so so it kind of <laughs> is a convention joke for us. All know. right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll jump in. Let me say this: If I didn't do what I do, I'd be something in the food industry because. I, I didn't mention besides it was a grocery store, but we also had a 25 foot lunch counter. We did pizzas and oh. stuff. We did pizzas and subs. And so um, I grew up in that and absolutely love it. So what I've really spent a lot of time on um, over the last year and a half, two years is bread. And um I I got into this uh, recipe making a slow rise, some small amount of yeast uh, loaf of bread. There's a baker called Jim Lay named Jim Leahy out of New York City, and, and he revolutionized the bread world uh, in the early 2000s with this recipe called No Need um, Artesian Bread. And all it is is slow rise. So this is like this is the recipe. Ready? It's it, I just tell you off the top of my head. It is. 400 grams of flour, it's 300 grams of water, it's a quarter teaspoon of yeast, and eight grams of salt. And the magic to it is, and you mix it all up, the magic to it is you let it rise for 12 to 18 hours. I always do the 18 hours, and then you never need it. You just take it out, make it into a ball, sprinkle it with wheat bran, 
and you heat up a Dutch oven and let the let it preheat for about 30 minutes. You put that dough inside that pot and that's it. Leave the top on, cook it for about 25 minutes and then let it brown with the top off for about another five or eight and you get the greatest loaf of bread. So I've been doing that a ton, um, obviously because of my background, um, heavy into spaghetti sauce and meatballs. Those are my favorite um, chicken piccata. Um, let me think. I'm just trying to think. I mean, anything and everything. I, I take, I, I just absolutely love doing anything. And plus, I've gotten into a lot of using that same concept with that dough, but not the same 18 hour rise. I've been doing a lot of baking sheet pizza, which is very thin, but hard, but tough, uh, a, a crunchy crust. Mm. And I've been absolutely loving that as well. Sounds good. Sounds delicious. <laughs> oh. Do you bring that to the announcer's booth? Uh, no, I, I do not. No, not with those. Not those guys. I won't share with those. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, but I tell you what, if I ever, if we ever get together, if you ever have this thing in Morgantown or something, um, when we get back to real world, I uh, you can have my word. I'll make you bread and I'll bring it. Oh boy. Okay. We'll we'll remember that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you just tell Donna. Let me know if you guys come this way. We'll do it. That sounds great. Oh boy! Oh, there's a one more hand. We'll take one more hand. Sure, no and problem. We have to move on. And Maria should now be able to unmute and talk. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. Um, I was just wondering. You described the shotgun um formation, like how far back the quarterback is. Could you explain um, um how far the quarterback is in the pistol formation? Yeah, very good question. Um, very, very, that's very good. Uh, similar distance, similar distance. So let's talk about that pistol formation. What that, what the pistol means is uh, earlier I said that oftentimes the the running back will be to the side of the quarterback when he's in that formation. So all the pistol means is that that running back is behind the quarterback. And so when that formation started to be used, that was it. It was just the quarterback with the running back directly behind him, and that became the pistol formation. So in, uh, after a while, what teams started to do was they put another person back there, and then you had a person that was a blocker that would stand either to the left or the right of the quarterback, and that running back is behind the quarterback. So – that becomes a strong formation. They're going to try to run out of that or a power formation. So if you ever listen to us, I'll call that a power pistol. So that is telling you that a lead blocker is to one side of the quarterback, and I may say power pistol to the left, meaning that that lead blocker is off the left-hand side of the quarterback. So I call that a power pistol. And then if – they put two extra blockers back there, one to the left of the quarterback, one to the right of the quarterback, and a running back behind the quarterback. I call that a fully loaded shotgun. In other words, it's loaded. You got two power backs, you got a quarterback and a running back. So I call that the fully loaded shotgun formation. So if you ever hear that, that means that there's four bodies back there ready to go. Okay. I hope that helps. I hope that helps. And I would love, I mean, if you guys ever um, have 
you know, say, hey, explain this, describe that. That helps me tremendously. So feel free. Donna's got my uh, Donna's got my contact information. Yes. I'd love to hear it. Well, thank you so much, Tony. It really was a very wonderful presentation, and and it was very helpful. The the description of the field and, and all that. Um, and thank you so much for your time. And uh, someday we probably will be back in Morgantown. We our conventions generally in a different. Uh, location each, each year in sure. West Virginia. So, and again, thank you so much. And you're more than welcome to stay and listen to some music here in a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what, I got scared. I started looking at your list of people and I see you got a rocket scientist talking to you tomorrow. So I'm glad I got the heck out of here because <laughs> <laughs> you think you're going to go to outer space just, or something. <laughs> well, I, I just knew I couldn't compare with Homer. I needed to get out of there, but I, I absolutely, I absolutely appreciate uh, this very, very much. I thank you so much for the invitation um it's been great and i wish you guys the absolute very best all right thank you and you too so now we are going to go walking and rocking through the hills of west virginia uh josh haza has it's a name that many people might have heard because he is the writer uh he did not put that in his little bio i'm putting it in there um, he is the writer of the acb and singer of the acb walk songs that are played during our convention and during the actual walk and uh, you hear it several times so but Josh has been the music teacher at the West Virginia schools for the blind for the last 10 years I man I didn't realize it's been 10 years uh, before that he taught music for seven years in Baltimore Maryland it Josh lives in Hampshire County West Virginia uh, and he's married with two lovely children, ages nine and four. And his wife is a lovely person, too. So, Josh, you are on, sir. And thank you for joining us. Yep, I'm right here. Oh, there you are. You're like in my backyard. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction. And, uh, yep, I'm, I'm Josh Haza. Um, and I'm the music educator at the West Virginia School for the Blind, Romney, West Virginia. And uh, I'll be singing some songs today, and I'll, I'll, do, a, I'll do one of the, the walkathon uh, songs as well, a couple others. And uh, feel free to sing along, but maybe not unmute because that might mess things up. So here's one that I'm pretty sure you all know. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, it's older than the trees, younger than the mountains, blowing like a breeze, country roads, take me home to the place. Of moonshine, 
sunshine, teardrop in my eye, country roads, take me home to the place I've longed, West Virginia, Mount Mama, take me home, country roads, I hear her voice in the morning hour she calls me the radio reminds me of my home far away drives down the road I get a feeling that I should have been home yesterday yesterday country roads won't you take me home to the place I've known Well, that's one that I'm pretty sure all of you know here at the uh, Mountain State Council for the Blind. Um, so, quick um, thing about the uh, the walkathon every year for the ACB. So, several years ago, Donna Brown, who I've known for ten years now, uh, she came to me and said, "We have this, you know, really big uh, walk that we do every year, and we have a theme, and that's sort of my thing is to write." parody songs for different themes uh at school you know i have a lot of different uh uh uh, themes that i use for uh, all the programs so you know donna was like is there any way that you can write uh a song for our walkathon this year and this is the theme i honestly forget what the first one was donna because it was such a long time ago that was let the sparks fly in the fourth of july and I can't oh, my yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, and, and I've, I've had such a great time doing it and uh, I actually look forward to her emails, letting me know what the theme is this year so I can get the ball rolling and, and start thinking about what I need to, to do in order to come up with a decent theme. Um, the one I like to play for you today, I was looking at them all and I figured I just, I'll do one of them cause I can't really remember all of them. Uh, they are all recorded and I have them in the studio and I'll talk a little bit more about the recording studio we have at school, but the one that we're going to do, that I'm going to do for you right now is the one that was, um, in Schaumburg. Um, even though we didn't go to Schaumburg. <laughs> was he not, did you not do that one? Well, that was the one supposed to be this year, this in July. That was this year. Okay. Yeah. Well, I yeah. figured but I'd that's go okay. We, that. we still used it. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, I'll go ahead and do that one uh, since uh, since you didn't get the walk. And it's uh, it's based off the Patsy Cline song, uh, Walking After Midnight. And it's called Walking Up a Storm. That was the theme for you guys. So here it is. Yes, we're a walking up a storm at the convention. Sponsored by the ACB as we're walking up a storm in Schomburg this year. We'll walk a mile all through the hotel 
and down the hallways through convention center rooms yes we're a walking up a storm in Schaumburg this year I've got my water bottle ready my feet are feeling steady we're walking up a storm today you know that we'll be sweating but I won't be regretting wouldn't have it any other way yes we're a walking up a storm at the convention sponsored by the ACB as we're a walking up a storm in Schomburg this year yes we're a walking up a storm in Schomburg this year. So that was the one supposed to be this year. <laughs> hey, we still used it even on our virtual walk. We we had a, an actual, you know, a virtual walk for like an hour that we we kind of did and videoed people and you know. So anyway, it was we 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 still did something. Now when Josh actually recorded that song, he actually had uh, uh, claps of thunder. Um, periodically in the song, so that that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I did add that. Um, so um, I recorded that in the recording studio that we have at the West Virginia School for the Blind that I built several years ago with a, a grant that uh, we received, and the students absolutely love it. Um, I use it for assessments. I use it for recording projects. Um, and then usually every other year we come out with a CD um, and we have one for this year called um, Our Vision in 2020. And it's a really, really good album of the students and all their projects. Um, and, you know, it, they work very, very hard on it. And I have many copies still. So if anyone's interested, let Donna Brown know and you know, she'll let me know and I'll, I'll give out free copies to anybody because they're free. They're for free. We, uh, you know, we, we have them made and, and we get a grant for them. And, um, you know, we, we like to give them out as, as promo, but also to, to show people of the, uh, the wonderful talent that we have at the School for the Blind. Donna, did you ever get a copy of that CD, by the way? No, I don't believe I did. No. Okay. Well, I owe you one too then. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, speaking of the West Virginia school, uh, Schools for the Deaf and the Blind, um, you know, after being there for, for 10 years, it's been a very rewarding job. And I, I love, you know, I love teaching there. And uh, I remember it was my second year when I finally realized that the school really did, or the campus really didn't have a song, uh, like an alma mater. So I figured I'd go ahead and write one. And I'd like to share that with you. That's okay. This is the uh, the West Virginia School for Deaf and Blind song. When the early morning sun rises on our quiet town, we wake up eager for the brand new day. Though this may not be just like our home somewhere among these hills, family and we would like to say we're the West Virginia schools for the deaf and the blind 
We're proud and we are free and we're doing really fine. With voices we shall sing and with hands we shall sign. We're the West Virginia Schools for Deaf and Blind. Some of us have never seen the rhododendron bloom. Some have never heard the cardinal song. But together we move mountains and we aim high for the stars. It's here with all our friends where we belong. We're the West Virginia schools for the deaf and the blind. We're proud and we are free and we're doing really fine. With voices we shall sing. And with hands we shall sign We're the West Virginia Schools for Deaf and Blind With voices we shall sing And with hands we shall sign We're the West Virginia Schools for Deaf and Blind WVSDB <laughs> That's our school song So, um I was trying to think of, uh, you know, different songs to, to play for you uh, today. And I got to thinking about, you know, how this convention for, you know, the Mountain State Council had to be had to be virtual, um, unfortunately, because of this pandemic. And I'm, I'm always one of those uh, optimistic people that always see, you know, hope at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, and the light at the end of the tunnel and, and there's going to be, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get there, you know, get to normalcy at some point. Um, and it kind of reminds me of like a, a, a cold, a deep, cold winter time. And you want spring to come kind of like now we want this pandemic to be over. So uh, I got to thinking of this, this song uh, by the Beatles called Here Comes the Sun. And to me, it's a very optimistic uh, song about, you know, here comes uh, some warmth. Here comes uh, something wonderful on the horizon. And uh, I think we can all look forward to that, and hopefully it'll be sooner than later. So I'd like to play that one for you now. Make it this thing tuned, right? Here comes the sun, I'll say, 
it's all right. have any questions or anything would it would it be all right if if they ask you know Absolutely. Or have... yes of course so if anybody has question for josh or, or whatever you raise your hand and randy i'll call on you phone number ending in seven one six three hey randy it's leslie oh hi leslie hey <laughs> hey Donna and Josh. Josh, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for writing all your wonderful songs for the ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Um, I'm actually on the committee with Donna, and it's just been an honor and a privilege to kind of get to know you through Donna, and now that I've heard you tonight, it's just been so exciting for me, and, and your singing is just uplifting for me. So thank you for all you do for ACB and and West Virginia, um, and, and which the uh, <laughs> your affiliate so thank you thank you thank you thank you so much i appreciate that you're very welcome next is susanna ment able to unmute and talk hi um my name is Suzanne, and i'm actually an interloper i'm from virginia and i know marcia and i know donna through uh, a couple of different venues uh, and i just love your music i'm a singer and guitar player but i wonder if you have cds available um for us to obtain somehow of you not just the students but you oh of me um well n- yes i do but uh no solo work i'm i'm i've been in many different bands um, uh-huh. I have a, a, a CD from a band I was in called Hay Fever, which is uh, mainly old time tunes. And then recently, and actually uh, currently, I'm in a band called Junk Mountain, and it's all instruments that are made from basically junk. A buddy of mine makes uh, like cigar box guitars and tin can ukuleles and mandolins and all sorts of things and we have a a cd out that just came out this year matter of fact um of just all all types of music really uh with with those instruments so um if uh if donna wants to give you my email that'd be fine and i can always uh send one to you yeah and also do you have a cd of all the brenda dylan walk songs 
I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think we have it like on an actual CD yet, but I mean, we've talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, I can do that too. That's, that's really simple for me to do. So if you're interested in something like that, um, I, I can put them all on a CD. I, just think, I just think it's great and creative and it's really fun and it's a great memorialization of the walk in itself, you know? Great. Thanks. Thank you. Enjoy the music. I appreciate that. All right. Next is Fran. And Fran, you should be able to unmute and talk. Hi, hi Josh. Um, I, I've done the ACB walks a few times. And every year when Donald talks about the walks, I always look forward to hearing what kind of theme song I come up with. And they're all But the best one was with the one you did this year for Schomburg with the storm in the back. I just thought that was classic. It was awesome. I, lo- I love them. I love them all. And I think a CD with all the walk songs would be excellent. Okay. I, I'll definitely get that going. I, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. With that, um, the, the thunderclap in the background and stuff, I have a synthesizer and I was just kind of messing around with some of the sounds and I had found that and I, I was doing a different project and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, that would be perfect. And then Donna actually said to me, do you have a thunderstorm sound? And I said, actually, I absolutely do. <laughs> so I'll put it in there. When I heard that the first time, I said, I called Donna. Maybe I sent her a text and said, you should get rain sticks to hand out at the convention and for the people that walk. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I never thought about that. We had gotten something else. Uh, I, I forget what. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah well, rain sticks would have been great to go with that. <laughs> All right, next up is Kathy Gerhardt. I just wondered if you were on YouTube. Uh, I am on YouTube. Um, you can look me up at, uh, it's uh, Haza one I believe that's my channel. I haven't been on there in quite some time, but that's, I, I used to upload a ton of videos uh, to Jay Haza one. Um, but you could always just search on YouTube for Josh Haza, H A Z A. And it, it'll just come up that, you know, and there's also a lot of educational stuff on there too. Like, like music educational stuff, especially now since, you know, we went virtual back in spring and I uploaded a lot of those, um, lessons and things like that for my kids, you know, at, at school on my YouTube channel. So there's a whole mix of things on, on the YouTube channel. That junk uh, instrument band, that would be good to be on YouTube. <laughs> that would be. Yeah, we're, we're so new that we haven't even uh, – we might have one video that might be on my buddy Jim's YouTube possibly, but, you know, we haven't really had much of an opportunity since because of the pandemic. You know, we, we haven't been able to play too much, you know, out and about because everything has been shut down, so – Eventually, I'm pretty sure, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get some videos on there. All right, any, any other questions or comments? Okay, we have Conrad Bennett. I would just like to say uh, great job, Josh. Thanks, Conrad. I appreciate <laughs> that. I work with Conrad. He's, he's a great guy. Any others? Hey, uh, Donna, this is Kevin. Can I ask Josh a question? Sure. Uh, um, Josh, I think it was you. Um, you had some students there. It was a white cane um, celebration down at the state capitol. 
and you had some students down there and I think they did a song. Um, it was, I think it was based on the safety dance. Oh yeah. Yes. We um, did. Yeah, do you, I was wondering, do you have, would that be, would you, would you have that like on a CD or, um, I, I really, I really enjoyed that because I was at that event and, and spoke at it. And I just, um, you know, I, you know, I was, I'm a, bleh, I can't even talk. I'm a former student from up there. And even though we did have a lot of great musical performances and stuff like that, um, I just, I don't know. I think when you introduce that type of um, the canes and that type of stuff into it, it just makes it a lot, I don't know. It, to me, it just made it a lot more interesting and enjoyable. Um, so, uh, but yeah, if you, if you would have that, I would really like to get a, a copy of it. You know, I, I think I might, I have to look back in the studio archives and see if we have that recorded. I'm pretty sure we do. And, uh, if I, if I do have it, I'll make a CD for you, Kevin. No problem at all. I think the last okay. time I saw you was at school a few years ago for, um, the fall convention or something like that. And then um, you might've asked me for it back then too. <laughs> so I don't, every time I'm, every time I'm up here, I'm asking for something, a t-shirt or, a, <laughs> a, you know, some, something, you know, I, you know, I tell people I could not wait to get out of there when I was a student, but, but now when I go back, it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's visiting, it, you know, I lived there for eight years and it was my home and, um, so when I go back up there, I like to, you know, if they're selling T-shirts or whatever. I, I, I try to buy something. Okay, we we've got one um, another hand yeah. raised. We're going to take one more question. Andrea Connor. Yeah, and if then um, after that, if Josh has any other, you know, closing song or whatever, because it's really about time to to okay. shut down. But go ahead, Andrea. There Hello. You are. Um, uh, this is my first virtual. Um, um, state convention, and I attended my first national ACB convention. I'm fairly new to vision loss, but just listening to you perform, Josh, and hear that your that your teacher at the School for the Deaf and Blind really just brought tears to my eyes because I think about, you know, the, the feelings that I went through as I started to lose my vision and how fortunate I am um, to have met so many wonderful people and inspiring it is to, to think that you're out there teaching uh, children that are not only blind, but also deaf. It's, it's just really inspiring. Thank you. And I'm Thank enjoying you. the music, of course. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So Josh, do you have any Clo- yeah. Closing remarks and or another song, or because we we've okay. got to wrap up here. Then, sure, I can go ahead and end with a song. Uh, just I- want to say thank you for having me, and it's been a pleasure. And I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your convention. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. Oh no problem at all. I'll go ahead and close it up with a little West Virginia Hills. Oh man, I like that song. Oh, the West Virginia Hills, how majestic and how grand. With their summits, faith and glory, like our Prince Emmanuel's land. Is it any wonder then that my heart with rapture thrills? 
as I stand once more with loved ones on those West Virginia hills. Oh, the hills, a beautiful hills, how I love those West Virginia hills. If or sea or land I roam, still I think of happy home and my friends among the West Virginia hills. Oh, the West Virginia hills, how unchanged they seem to stand. With their summits pointed skyward to the great Almighty's land. Many changes I can see, which my heart with sadness fills. But no changes can be noticed in those West Virginia hills. Oh, the hills, beautiful hills, how I love those West Virginia hills. If for sea or land I roam, still I think of happy home and my friends among the West Virginia Hills. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for giving up your time this evening and, and for sharing in song and, and just a little bit of, of your background and, and all that stuff and just Thank you so much for writing the walk songs and everything you do for the uh, betterment of the blindness population, students oh. and adults. Oh, no, Gosh, no this is Glenn, and I just wanted to say thank you for everything as well. All right, buddy. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, thank you, Okay. So, yep, yeah, thank you. So it is about time to wrap up, and I want to thank everyone for coming. Uh, and everyone for listening on ACB radio and we will meet again tomorrow morning at nine o'clock Eastern time. Uh, one of our first speakers is a uh, update on library services. And, you know, we all like to read, listen to books and all that kind of stuff. Um, but again, thank you, Doug for streaming, Randy for hosting and everyone for attending. And we will, as they kind of say in West Virginia, talk at you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock a.m. Have a good evening. <laughs>